You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Desiring God. Hello my radio friends. I'm so glad you've joined me today for another Give Me the Bible program. Part of my tertiary education studies included studies on educational psychology. The psychology lecturer had an interesting technique to keep his students alert. He would be droning away when suddenly he'd stop and fire a direct question aimed at any student who looked drowsy. It was kind of fun wondering who would be the next the lecturer would pick. No wonder his nickname was Bomber. Most of what Bomber taught I've probably forgotten. But one thing he said firmly stuck in my mind. He said, Everyone has to worship something. On a similar line of thought, I've heard this saying, Everyone has a God-shaped hole in their heart that needs to be filled. Recently, I've been thinking about desiring God, about who needs God and what difference does it make to know believe in and trust God. I wondered, how does one manage to get through life happily without God, such as is the case with atheists? Furthermore, I considered the question, is it worth bothering about God? Whether or not you too might have been thinking on similar lines as me, I want to say, first and foremost, there is no compulsion for anyone to believe in or to obey God. All human beings have been given a free choice to obey or disobey God. That choice was given at creation when God created man. Along with all created fauna and flora, God placed man in a beautiful garden filled with trees and other plants which bore fruits, grains and nuts. Man had plenty to eat and plenty of creatures and plants to delight his senses. Genesis chapter 2 deals with this and I'm reading from Genesis 2, 8 and 9. It says, And the Lord God planted an garden eastward in Eden and there he put man who he had formed and out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil then going on to verses 16 and 17 the Bible narrative continues and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Now, you don't need to be a neurosurgeon to realise 
that by placing just that one tree man was not to eat from in the garden, that provided choice. Choice means that God does not force anyone. Now that needs to be repeated. God does not force anyone. If he did, we would have no choice. We'd be no better off than robots which can only do what they're programmed to do. When someone, as did our first parents, Adam and Eve, chooses to disobey God, they are allowed to go with their choices. But, of course, there are consequences. Following, obeying and serving God is the best way to live. And when we do that, God is glad because we have chosen to operate according to his blueprint. Within God's plan, man is happiest and can live the most satisfying, fulfilled life. When we choose a different way, no doubt God is disappointed. But because he gave us the right of choice in the first place, he allows us to live according to our own decisions. And of course, we must accept the consequences of those decisions. And I hasten to add, the only reason God gave human beings the choice to, to obey or disobey is because he loves us. That is so simple, yet so profound. We have choice because our Creator is love. Everything God does is out of a character and motivation of love. Psalm 42 verses 1 and 2 provides a word picture of man reaching out to God. If my psychology lecturer was right, and if the saying about a God-shaped hole in the heart is right, this verse beautifully expresses man's desire in seeking the companionship of God. So this is what Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says. As a thirsty deer longs for a cool stream of water, so I long for you, O Lord, I thirst for you, the living God of Israel. I long for the time when I can meet you and be with you. And that's from the clear word paraphrase version of the Bible. This verse says what I have often felt, a desire for God. It expresses a desire to have a deeper, closer experience with him just as Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden prior to the time when sin separated them from God. Genesis chapter 3 verses 8 and 9 explains that God was walking in the garden as was usual, waiting for Adam and Eve to join him, but on that fateful evening of the day when they took the forbidden fruit and ate it, and thereby sinned, they hid from him. And God called out, Where are you? Ever since that rift occurred, God has made and is making every effort to heal the breach caused by sin. 
In Jesus' prayer, as recorded in John 17, verses 20 to 24, Jesus prayed that those who believed in and accepted him would enjoy a close relationship with each other and also with him and God the Father. Here are his words. I pray for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me, Father. I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. You see, God is sinless and sin and God don't mix. Jesus came to this earth so that sinners could become righteous again through acceptance of his substitutionary sacrifice. He made it possible for a closer relationship between God and man again. But God will destroy this sin-weary world and make it anew. That's not too far off. Then there'll be no more sin, nor effects of sin. When God makes all things new, the separation between God and man will no longer exist. Revelation 21.3 explains, And I, this is John the prophet, heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. You know, that's the time I'm looking forward to. Yet, sometimes God seems to be distant, and sometimes I feel distant. He wants me to do... I'm sorry, I've just uh, got that a bit wrong. Sometimes I feel that although I'm obeying God's will, and doing what he wants me to do, yet I have a deep desire for a oneness, a closeness, a companionship, a being in the very presence of God. Human beings experience ups and downs in their lives. Psalm 42 describes those ups and downs, and I want to share with you verses 7 to 11. You can probably identify yourself having gone through similar emotions. Here's what it says. Waves of sorrow engulf me. I feel like I'm being drowned by the force of a huge waterfall. Your waves and breakers sweep me away. But I know that you're with me, O Lord. By day I feel your presence, and at night your love is like a quiet song. 
My prayers come from the heart of a weary but confused child. Every night my prayer is the same. O Lord, my rock, have you forgotten me? Why do you let me be swept off my feet by such negative emotions? Why is it that I must hide from my enemies? I feel a jabbing pain in my bones as my enemies taunt me, saying, Where is your God now? Does he really care about you? Then I say to myself, Why are you so sad? Why do you take all those insults personally? You need to keep trusting God. He has not forsaken you. So I will put my trust in the Lord and praise him no matter how I feel. He is my health and my life. He is my saviour and my God. Friends, although we human beings experience good moods and bad moods, elation and depression, happiness and sorrow, how we feel really does not make a great deal of difference. You see, God is a constant. Hebrews 13.8 explains, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So you might ask, ask, in what way is he the same? You know, there are hundreds of adjectives describing the Lord, but I want to share just 12 with you. He is loving, forgiving, trustworthy, righteous, powerful, holy, gracious, pure, merciful, upright and wise. Our God is not fickle or foolish. He's not like the wind blowing in one direction then shifting somewhere else. Our God is constant. James 1.17 explains God's constancy this way. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Some people say there are three constants in life, death, taxes and change. Others add things like the struggle to choose good instead of evil and the relentless progression of time. But the psalmist wrote, God is my saviour and God, I will put my trust in him. Here's the point. We all experience variables in our lives. They come no matter how hard we try to control them. Some of those variables are unwelcome and threaten our stability and security. But God is a constant. He is our rock, our anchor, our Father. We're going to have a short break and go on straight afterwards.
recently I've read a very inspiring book about a young man who was living a criminal lifestyle. He was part of a gang of thieves. Life for him was exciting but dangerous. Although consumed with with the thrill of robbery, he was unhappy and unpleasant to his family. Inevitably he was arrested, sentenced and imprisoned. While in prison, he was given a Bible, and with nothing better to do, especially during the first two years spent in solitary confinement, he started reading the Bible. No, he had no other spiritual input other than the Bible. That powerful book changed him. Instead of being angry with the world and everyone in it, he became a beautiful person. In his case, like what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 42, he put his trust in the Lord and praised him no matter how he felt. He recognised God as his health and his life. He accepted the Lord as his Saviour and his God. But this program about desiring God is not just about desiring his help, but desiring his companionship. The Bible contains many statements of others who had that same desire, and I shall share some of these with you too. What I feel, and hopefully what you feel, has been the experience of others as well. 
King David. Psalm 27.4 records his thoughts. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And the Apostle Paul says what he wanted to say in Philippians 3.10. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And then the Apostle John expresses himself in 1 John 5.2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. The prophet Isaiah said what he wanted to say in Isaiah 2.9. At night my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you diligently. For when the earth experiences your judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. And then there's Asaph in Psalm 73:25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. And lastly, we'll hear from David again, Psalm 63:1. O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So, it's all very well to have a hunger or thirst for God, but what should we do about it? Well, the Bible provides the answer in many places, and here's one. It's from Jeremiah 29.13, and it says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And here's another. It's from Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Did you notice how these two verses say how you can reach out to God and find him? The first was to seek God with all your heart. There has to be a concentrated effort on our part to find God. Having done that, we may have the companionship of God. The second was to humble ourselves. This involves wanting to do God's will and not trying to get him to do what we want him to do for us. Now this is an important point. We must accept the fact, as the psalmist wrote, that God is God and not the other way around. We must not approach God as if he's some Santa Claus with a big bag of gifts and all we have to do is convince him that we need those gifts. No. Instead, 
we must earnestly commit ourselves to his will and show that we would really want him, his person, in our lives. We must desire to know God and not just to want stuff for ourselves. And then there's another thing. We must pray. Prayer is reaching out to God, revealing ourselves to him, and at the same time allowing him to reveal himself to us. And finally, if we want to reach out to God, we must forsake our sins and our wicked ways. We must prepare ourselves for his holy presence. As we desire a closer communion with God, it's important to seek him sincerely, to commit ourselves to him without there being any self-imposed conditions. We must pray and ask to be forgiven our wrongdoings. When one desires God, it's just like being in love. Maybe some of you older listeners remember how that when you were first in love, you wanted desperately to be in the presence of the one you loved, and you would practically turn the world upside down to be with your loved one. Well, that was my case anyhow. And you younger listeners, be aware that love is a very strong force, stronger than you might think. To love God brings with it a desire to be in his presence, to be aware of his presence, and to feel that you are a part of him and he of you. There are times when we in distress may wonder, God, where are you when I need you? And that's a fair question to ask. But that question begs another question. Where are you when God needs you? Desiring God is a good and noble thing. But coupled with that is a need for us to live according to God's will and to trust and obey him. My dear radio friends, I hope you desire God, but I also hope you realise that desire must not be one-sided, because God desires and loves you much more than you him. But are you willing to commit yourself, your plans, your everything to him? Don't keep God at arm's length, allowing him only part of you. Give him your all, your obedience and everything. Then your desire for God will become reality. So, until next time then, this is Len signing off and hoping that your desire to be one with God will be fulfilled.